Welcome to episode 395 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And just a reminder, our home base is wedontdie.com, where you can find all kinds of good things. You can attend one of our free Sunday gatherings with medium demonstrations. We offer all kinds of courses. There's now between this show and my other podcast, Shades of the Afterlife, there's now well over 500 episodes. So there's good things to check out there, good reasons to believe. Our spectacular guest today is my friend, Peter Alessandria, who is an award-winning, internationally published photographer, filmmaker, author, TEDx speaker, and former entertainment attorney. He's the author of the book, be bigger than you think you are, overcoming our self-imposed limits to have the life we want. His current projects include four spiritual and afterlife-based films, which he'll tell us about today. Peter hopes to use his books, workshops, film projects, and speaking engagements to raise awareness about the truth of our eternal spiritual nature and how we can use that truth to live better lives while we're still here on earth. Now, in the description of this episode, I have all the links to his websites and social media. But if you want to check out who he is, and of course, pick up a copy of his book, go to BeBiggerToday.com. Peter, my friend, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. So great to be here, Sandra. Thank you. Yeah, it's really nice to see you. I know you were a guest for our Sunday gathering, did a great talk. And I've been following you on social media. And what phenomenal photographs you take. I just want to throw that in there because they're just breathtaking. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. So where shall we start? I know you're in New Jersey. Tell us a little bit about who you are, maybe a little bit of your background, because it's not every day that you meet people that want to create films, spiritual films, and share the afterlife. Yeah, Um I'm not entirely sure how I got here, but I'll tell you what I know. Uh, I did grow up in the New York City area. I went to school in upstate New York. And after four years in Buffalo, New York, I decided to move to the West Coast and um, went to Los Angeles to work in the entertainment business as an attorney. And uh, and I just fell in love with the process of filmmaking, um, visual arts and all of that. And this was around the time when the independent film world was just coming up. The Sundance Film Festival was becoming popular. And the other thing that was happening at that time was digital video was coming in. We take it for granted today that you could just pick up your phone and film something. But back then, and I'm dating myself a little bit, but back then, digital video was a big thing. And it enabled, it kind of what we call uh, democratized the film industry. Because now anybody with a camcorder and a computer could make a movie. So um, my background, in, my educational background was economics, business, law, uh, I've never taken a photography class. I've never taken a filmmaking class. I never even took an art appreciation class in college. And, um, but my exposure, one of the things that I did as an entertainment attorney is I got to go on the film sets while they were actually making the movies. And again, this was a while ago, you know, Entertainment Tonight, all those entertainment shows where you see behind the scenes, they weren't, there, there wasn't a lot of that back then. So the first time I was on a movie set, I was like, wow, this is so cool. You know, the lights and the cameras and the whole thing. It was very, very interesting to me. 
And uh, and another thing that was very interesting was uh, I was there. It was one of the first days of the production, and they were filming one of the last scenes in the movie. And so what I found out is they don't shoot the movie in the order that we see it. So that was very interesting to me. But I just fell in love with this process, and I began to hang out with – I was a young uh, attorney in, in the film business, the entertainment business, and I started meeting a lot of creative people, producers, directors, and a lot of them were my age in their 20s. And I started hanging out with these guys and gals, and uh, I just got the bug, you know, and uh, I didn't know anything about the process, but I was determined to learn. And so I started – uh, hanging out with people, reading up on the internet, and then eventually I got my own cameras and started practicing lighting and and camera angles and lenses and all that stuff. And I eventually became an amateur filmmaker. So I was still practicing law. I still had my law practice, but I wrote, produced, directed, and edited six short films and a bunch of other short video projects, and and loved that process. In the in the meantime, I also discovered still photography. I'm not one of those people. I was in my early 30s. 30s when I first picked up a still camera. I wasn't one of those people who, you know, since they were a kid, had that as a, a hobby or an interest. And so while I was doing my filmmaking, I was also doing photography. Uh, I was doing a lot of portraits and headshots for actors, models, that kind of thing, as well as some landscape stuff. And then in 2009, the global financial crisis hit, and I literally lost my law practice. Within a matter of months, it was gone. And I tried whatever I could do to resurrect that, uh, but it just wasn't happening. And I decided, you know, I'd been, I, the West Coast was very uh, progressive in, in thinking, and I read books like Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow. And so I thought, you know, if I could do anything with my life, what would it be? And I kept coming up to, to, to do photography and filmmaking. So I made the decision in 2009 to switch careers, to change my career, move back to the East Coast to be close to my family. And I embarked on this journey of being a full-time photographer and filmmaker. Well, as you'll read in my book, the first three years, it didn't go very well. And I had all these reasons why things weren't working out. You know, the economy was still kind of rough. And, and um, you know, I never, I, I didn't study art or photography. I was a lawyer and I had an MBA, I have an economics degree. What do I know about art and photography? And had all these lists of reasons why it wasn't working out. But one day I realized, you know, the problem wasn't out there. The problem wasn't here. And it turns out I had a very negative self-image when it came to being a creative person. And I was terrified of putting myself out there as an artist, as a photographer, a filmmaker. And so I embarked on this journey. And this journey was to, to undo all that negative thinking and to reprogram my self-image, my ideas about myself, and to empower myself rather than disempower myself. So, Sandra, I went from somebody who never won an award for anything in my life to somebody who's won more than 75 awards for my photography. Wow. I went from somebody who was terrified to post photos on Facebook to someone whose photos have been published in newspapers and magazines around the world. And from someone who never thought it was possible to sell an image, you know, a, a print of my photos to anybody, to somebody who sold prints to collectors as far away as Australia. I eventually became an official photographer for or one of the preeminent fireworks companies, and they sent me around the world to photograph their, their exhibitions, their performances. All this stuff happened, and the only thing that changed was my idea about myself. Reprogramming all those negative thoughts and beliefs that said, I'm not good enough, I don't have what it takes. So uh, that's basically that. So, so that took us through like 2019, 
And so basically from 2009 to 2019, I was working full-time, winning awards, traveling the world, doing all of that. And then I had an injury. I was in, in Los Angeles. I did a photo shoot for a client. And then I went up to Yosemite because I wanted to do some photography for myself, fine art photography, landscapes. And I tore my calf muscle and I was basically incapacitated. I couldn't walk, couldn't drive, couldn't do anything. And But it was in that moment, I had been thinking about writing a book and people were asking me, well, how did you go from somebody who never won an award to somebody who's done won all these awards? You know, people were asking me and I was doing speaking engagements for photography clubs and, and, and uh, high schools, colleges, stuff like that. But I hadn't written a book about it, about the experience. And so what happened was, and this is in my book and this is on my website, in the moment that I injured myself, in the very moment, now, if you've ever torn a calf muscle, so it's very painful, you know, and it was it was excruciatingly painful. But in that moment, I got a very clear message. I'm calling it a moment of clarity. Uh, and the message was, now you can write your book. I get goosebumps still when I just talk about it, when I say it. And that night in a hotel room in Yosemite, California, on crutches, I started writing my book. Didn't know it was going to take me almost a year and a half to complete. Uh, including a second edition and, and the audiobook. But I got all of that done. And, um, and the book is set up as a workbook. So it's an opportunity for people to not only read about my experience, but also apply the principles to their own lives by doing the exercises at the end of each chapter. And that was really important to me. Um, so fast forward again to now it's like 2021. And, um, I had finished my book, but in 2019 or 2020, I had read a book called Adventures in the Afterlife. It's a novel written by William Buhlman. William is uh, one of the leading experts on out-of-body experiences and astral projections. He taught at the Monroe, the Robert Monroe Institute in Virginia for many years. And he had a series of how-to books, nonfiction books on how to have an out-of-body experience, the spiritual significance of all of that. But he also wrote this novel. And again, the novel is called Adventures in the Afterlife. And when I read it, I said, wow, this would make a great movie. So I actually reached out to him on social media, on Facebook. And I said, William, I said, I love this book. I said, have you thought about making it into a film? And he basically said, he said, I always thought it would make a great movie, but I'm not a screenwriter. I don't want to be a screenwriter. Um, I'm, I'm doing all these other things. And, and that was basically it. And I said, well, look, I used to be an entertainment lawyer. If you if anybody has any interest or you have any interest, I'm happy to help out on the project. In the meantime, I was writing my book. So when I finally finished my book, I, uh, you know, I just thought, whatever happened, what, what, whatever happened with that novel? So I got back in touch with William and I was very, I had a very clear, uh, it wasn't a moment of clarity, but it was a strong intuition that I should make this into a movie. So I reached out to him and I actually optioned his novel. And for the last kind of year and a half, I've, I've been writing the screenplay for that, for this, for this, for the novel. And it's a very powerful, uh, visually compelling story of spiritual awakening. Uh, it's truly an adventure in the afterlife. Um, the premise for the book is, uh, the protagonist, he's 37. He passes away from cancer, cancer. And he finds himself on the other side where he's greeted by his mother and he goes, he goes with her to her community. She actually lives in an, in, in an environment there that seems to be like heaven. Everything's really at first glance. It's really kind of wonderful. People don't get sick. 
Uh, it's beautiful. Um, you know, there, to a certain extent, there's, there's harmony and peace. But he finds out very quickly that this environment, this afterlife environment, uh, is not what he thinks it is. And it may not be what everybody else thinks it is. And in particular, it's dominated by a religion, a church, um, that is very close-minded about things. And they're still kind of pushing their view of God and of spirituality. And he finds out very quickly that if he questions the authority, uh, he's shut down. And eventually he is basically kicked out of that community and he decides to go on an adventure to find out the truth. And he ends up going to uh, kind of a school of sorts where he meets a guide and this guy takes him through all different dimensions, through all different levels of the afterlife. And some of them are beautiful and glorious and, and are an expression of, of unconditional love and creativity and artistry and, and um, boundless energy. And some of them, kind of the low, lower astral realms, are kind of dark. Uh, what we find out is that people who pass that have strong addictions, for instance, or or compulsive behavior or attachments to people in the physical, they don't often, they don't always advance when they pass, when they're, when they experience that transition. And so uh, the book is written as a novel, but it's based on William's actual experiences, actual out-of-body astral projection experiences that he had. And it was very interesting to me because I, I thought when people die, when we, you know, when the body passes, when the body dies, we suddenly become enlightened. And everything is heavenly and that's it. But it turns out that some of us still have some lessons to learn and some work to do and some thinking that needs to be changed. And so uh, I'm currently working on that as well as a bunch of other projects. But I want to stop there and see if you have any comments or questions. <clears throat> oh, well, first of all, thank you for sharing your story and um, your transformation from and self-belief is incredible. So yeah, we'll definitely share your book more. And I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I'm thinking about all the people that I've interviewed and the stories of the afterlife and things. And I always want to let our listener or our viewer know, because there are different thoughts. And I don't think anybody's got the exact truth. I think we all have our own truth. So if things fit and resonate, take them if they empower you in your life. If they don't, eh, maybe not. I do know from the people that I've interviewed that have had near-death experiences and oh, kind of awakenings and things that they they range in all different ways. And I think while we're still have that silver cord attached to us, there can be different representatives or representations of the afterlife. So it's only when we truly get there do we know all of it. Well, and probably we don't even know when we get all of it. So um, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Just uh I, I don't, um, I don't not believe in different layers and things, but I do, I have heard some pretty scary stories of what people have experienced in the, uh, in near-death experiences. And I think some of that could be that they're still attached, you know, they, they haven't really departed a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I would say this, I think it's, um, and I have heard this from many different sources that, you know, our experience after the transition from this realm to other realms, it really is a reflection of our state of mind, of mm -hmm. our thoughts, of our beliefs. Um, and so <clears throat> nobody is, there's, and, and so I have another project I'm going to talk about in a minute 
which is a nonfiction uh, documentary film about the afterlife. And I've talked to many people who have experienced near-death experiences and studied thousands at this, at this point, hundreds, probably a few thousand stories. Um, there is no punishment. It's not that people are punished for their choices uh, by some external force or by God or whatever you want to call it. Um, but like this realm, you know, we get what we think about whether we like it or not whether we want it or not. And so it's very important that we learn how to focus our thinking and focus our perception, focus our intentions, finish our unfinished business. And for me, this was the subject of the Sunday gathering that we did together. This is the subject of my TED talk. And this is the subject of chapter seven in my book. It's all about, for me, it's all about forgiveness, learning how to forgive the, um, the grievances that we may have accumulated, the um, the injustices, the unfairness that we might perceive, and to begin to find some way to extend love and, and compassion and understanding as opposed to resentment, grievances, um, you know, feeling justified in hurting other people. Um, so, so what I'm suggesting is, and again, William's book is a novel, right. uh, and but it was instructive for me because it did make sense to me that we kind of carry our unfinished business into the next realm. And if, if there's an opportunity to heal our relationships, if there's an opportunity to forgive ourselves, because ultimately all forgive, I found for me, all forgiveness is self-forgiveness. And one of the reasons I was able to do what I was able to do with my photography, and I talk about this a lot in my book and my workshops, I went from being my own worst enemy to my own best friend. I was so hard on myself for every little flaw or shortcoming or mistake. And I really had to learn that it wasn't other people that were holding me back. You know, it was me. And so shifting that and really moving to a place of self-love, self-forgiveness, self-acceptance, you know, it doesn't mean I don't make mistakes and try to do better next time, but I don't have to beat myself up for them. And a lot of times we can turn that energy outward on other people you know, we could be hard on other people, our kids, our spouses, relationships and stuff like that. So, so the point for me of all of this is understanding that life is eternal, understanding that we don't die, understanding that there's always more opportunities to learn, to grow and to become more, to evolve into something greater, to begin to take responsibility for our experiences and to finish our unfinished business. I've wrestled, you know, I talk about this in my book, I've wrestled with addictions. I have a lot of experience in 12-step programs. And the addictive mind apparently goes can go with us when we transition. If we haven't healed that, if we haven't resolved some of that and um, find a way to move past that, we continue until we learn our lessons. And it, again, it's not punishment. Even in this realm, I would say that, you know, if there's such a thing as hell, we create it for ourselves, which is good news because we can then choose something different. We can uncreate that. We, we can move into a higher state of vibration, consciousness, whatever you want to call it. And <laughs> I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> I just wanted to give you a little space. If you no, I love listening. No, it's, it's definitely good. And you're definitely like-minded soul. Because every reason I share about life after death 
is to help people through grief and help people have a powerful life while we're here. And no matter what our beliefs are in the afterlife, why not have things crossed off our list, make amends, forgiveness, forgive yourselves, do the best you can, um, empower yourself by reading or taking courses and workshops really to be the best you can be so that, you know, it's like packing, going on a vacation. You want to get everything done so that you're not thinking about back home while you're on the beach in Hawaii, right? <laughs> get it done. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. So, yeah, so that's great. And this leads into my next project. So this project just came to me about three months ago. So I've been like, I've been watching podcasts like yours. Um, I mean, it's amazing how much information is out there now on near death experiences, afterlife experiences, spiritually transformative experiences. And it always seems like just the right thing is popping up in my YouTube feed. And so um, in the last few months, I've, I've, uh, for some reason, I've been drawn to this idea that, you know, it's one thing to have in your death experience. It's another thing to share with people how that transformed you, how that's changed your life. And I've heard a bunch of people who have said, you know, before my near-death experience, I was very, um, I don't want to say selfish, but kind of self-centered, very uh, mired in the ways of the world, you know, uh, the grind of the of the nine to five or whatever it is. And um and all the things that go along with ego gratification. And then after that experience, that spiritually transformative experience, whether it's an NDE or pre-birth memory or regression, pre-life uh, or pre-birth regression, they have a shift and they begin to see themselves as more of a part of a unified whole, to see they're more of a connection with other people, uh, less of a sense of separation and more of a desire to be of service. So in some cases, you know, uh, I remember a story, I don't remember exactly who it was, but a gentleman who was an investment banker on Wall Street, he ends up going to work in hospice. You know, he gives up that career to do something more uh, uh, spiritually based of service and things like that. So I got to thinking, it's really interesting that people have these experiences, but how can we use the information that they bring back, the truth, what I consider truth of our true nature, how can we use that to better live our lives while we're still here. So my next project that I'm working on, which is actually in production, which is what you see behind me. Cool. It's a documentary, feature-length documentary, and it's entitled, What Every Soul Knows, The Secret to Remembering Who We Really Are. And I am lining up people from around the world. I just had somebody come from Ireland last week. People are coming to me in Northern New Jersey to be involved in this project. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to involve about 15 on-camera interviews with people who've had near-death experiences, people who've had some spiritual transformative, transformative experience. But again, we're not talking about the botched surgery. We're not talking about the car accident. We're talking about how the experience changed them and how their lives are different today and what, what wisdom, what truth do they have to share with us. And so uh, the idea is to have about 15 of these people on camera telling their story. I'm doing it much in the, the uh, style of the 2006 Law of Attraction documentary called The Secret. You might remember that. I do. Um, it's a very compelling production, very fast paced, very powerful. 
Uh, I know people have different feelings about the law of attraction and the way it was portrayed in that, but you can't argue that it wasn't a compelling production. And so I'm kind of using that as my model. Now, I, one of the things that The Secret did very effectively was they had recreations. So when somebody on camera, an interviewee, was talking about, if you want to have a new car in your driveway, a new Ferrari, you have to visualize yourself driving that car, you know, and and feel it, you know, and 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 change your vibration to be in sync with that. And then what they did was they cut to a scene of some guy, a recreation of some guy in his living room in his lazy boy and he's in his, in his robe and he's pretending that he's driving the Ferrari and they're playing the, the, this music this upbeat music. And they have the car sound effects, the engine revving and next to him on the arm of his chair is a little Chihuahua with racing goggles on and a scarf. And it was a very impactful uh, way to portray what the people on camera were speaking about. Now I'm, I, I'm, I, I say all that, and then I'm going to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do recreations. But I think what I'm going to do is have a movie within a movie. And it's going to be an animated film about, for lack of a better term, and this is not really accurate, but it's the only way I can describe it, the life cycle of the soul. And so how we progress through various incarnations, we move from being young souls to old soul, souls, how we eventually become guides, maybe on councils, uh, and progress in our in our spiritual evolution, uh, including, you know, not, er not, not every soul comes to the physical plane or doesn't come as often as, as other ones and kind of depicting all of that in an animated film that can play while people on camera are talking about the different subjects. Now, this is a tall order. I, I have to write a whole screenplay for that. I haven't really, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for the guidance on that one. Um, but I, the response I've gotten, almost everybody that I've asked to be involved in this on camera to interview, you know, most of those people have said yes very quickly without knowing me, without really knowing anything about the project. And several of them have said to me, several, several of them are mediums, psychics. Uh, as I said, many have had near death experiences and they, they all said, I was kind of waiting for you to get in touch with me because we, we want to be part of this. So. You were saying earlier about getting that positive reinforcement. I've never had a near-death experience. I I don't think I've ever left my body consciously. You know, been very is it right-brained? Whatever the logical, rational mind is, lawyer, you know, uh, MBA, economics, and yet, you know, I feel like this is my mission. This is my life's mission, and this is what I'm here to do. And the point of the documentary, as with all my work, is what you mentioned in the introduction. And that's to remind people, to help people remember who we really are as spiritual beings, as eternal beings, with, the, with our essence as love, as compassion, as understanding, and this idea of oneness. And how while we're in our ego mind, living in the physical where most of us find ourselves, it's very much the opposite of that. It's very much fear-based uh, in terms of our decision-making, very much um, separation, this idea that we're separate from others and that what I do to another has no effect on me. In the spiritual realm, we find out very quickly that what we do for another, we do for ourselves, and what we fail to do for another, we fail to do for ourselves because we're all connected, we're all one. So I want to bring that as a message to help people. I believe that at the cellular level or DNA level or subconscious level, we know the truth. 
But our ego, for most of us, our ego is so reinforced, this idea of separation, as I said, is so reinforced that we, we're not consciously aware of the truth of who we are. And so that project in particular is my attempt to begin to, and I'm just playing a small part. I noticed that there are other people doing documentaries. There's a lot of what you do, you know, podcasts that address this issue. There's a wave coming of people that want to raise the consciousness of the planet. And so, so my goal is to be a part of that. Maybe it's just a small part of it, but to begin to help people, the average person who doesn't watch your podcast or the average person who's never read Raymond Moody's book or whatever, to begin to say, wow, maybe there's something much bigger going on here. And, and one of the themes is this idea of soul groups, how we reincarnate with, with the same beings, the same souls over and over, and we play different roles in each other's lives. This idea that sometimes the people who we see as our greatest, the greatest villain in our life is actually somebody that we know from the other side and love very dearly. And they've agreed to play that role in our lives, in our physical life for a purpose. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Rob Schwartz books, uh, Your Soul's Plan, um, you know, Michael Newton's books. I mean, there's, there's a lot out there. Uh, Francis Key, Francis Key has a series of books called The Team. And it's all about the fact that we're part of a spiritual team. And, and actually the work that we do while we're here benefits the whole group, the whole team, the whole soul group. So beginning to shift the way we see the people who challenge us, the situations that challenge us. The other thing is just this idea that, you know, we're here by our own choice. You know, we, you know, incarnate, we voluntarily incarnate. And for most of my life, I would have said, you're out of your mind. I would have never chosen this, this experience. I know what you mean. Oh my gosh. I just want to right. say one thing quick. Um, when you talk about other people and things that happen in our life, somebody said, you know, when you think of a, an oyster with the beautiful pearl in it, you know, what causes that pearl? It's an irritation, you know, <laughs> it's sand that gets in, it's an irritant. And so I love that because I think of when there is a disagreement or, things happen that don't go our way, you know, that's just polishing up my pearl, you know, it's, it's a good thing. <laughs> yes. And you have to want to see it that way. Yeah. The because it's very, the beast. Easy, it's very easy to feel victimized by the world. Course in Miracles. I studied Course in Miracles. That's my primary spiritual um, program these days. And the course has been around since the seventies. And um, I've been studying it now for almost 30 years. And the Course says, you know, who you think is your enemy is your savior. You know, if you can learn to forgive that person who has, by your well, all accounts, and, and the world may agree with you that this person is a jerk and that this person is, is inappropriate and all those things. And, and I'm going to qualify this in a second. But if you can begin to understand that that person is in your life for a reason and is giving you an opportunity to be bigger than you think you are, the title of my book to overcome those limiting thoughts and beliefs and to begin to not, my TED talk, my TEDx talk was all about not taking personally negative comments about my photography on social media, on Facebook. And by not taking things personally, Course in Miracles also says all attacks are a call for love. So if somebody's attacking me, I can either get take it personally and, and, and do all this other stuff, or I could say, well, Maybe they're having a really hard time. In fact, they must be having a hard time if they have to attack me 
so they can feel better. Now, I want to qualify this, okay? I also spent a lot of time in chapter seven in my book talking about forgiveness, but also talking about healthy boundaries. Yeah. So being loving, being kind, being compassionate doesn't mean we become a doormat. Right. Doesn't mean we let people walk all over us. Doesn't mean that we put ourselves in harmful situations or, or just dismiss inappropriate behavior by others. That doesn't serve us and it doesn't serve them. So we still have to take care of ourselves. It's my responsibility to do whatever I need to do in whatever relationship I'm in to make sure that I'm taken care of, that I take care of myself. And sometimes that does mean removing myself from that situation or the other person from my life. And as I begin to look from a higher perspective, and as I begin to say, you know, in 12-step programs, they say, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Begin to understand that if somebody is, is acting out in such a way that they have to hurt somebody else, you know, there, I, it, I can at least begin to have some compassion or understanding for that. All right. I may still have them arrested based on what they're doing, but I can do it with love. I can do it with compassion. I can do it with understanding as opposed to judging them, making them wrong, telling everybody what jerks they are and having having that whole ego experience of I'm better than them, you know, and judging them, making them wrong for just being human. And again, I talk about this in, in my workshops and my book. I can look back on my life and there were times when I was acting inappropriately. And in those times, I was not, you know, Jesus said, forgive them, they know not what they do. In those moments, I was not in my right mind. And if I can have that kind of compassion or understanding when somebody else is acting out, that's the first step. And because, because if I don't do that, then I'm stuck forever in this mindset of I'm good, you're bad, I'm right, you're wrong, uh, my way or the highway, and I'm justified in doing whatever I want to do to control you, to change you, um, to annihilate you, your culture, you know, whatever it is. And we have been doing this to each other for centuries. So. We do what we need to do to take care of ourselves, and we begin to look at it differently. Course in Miracles says a miracle is a shift in perception. It's the same situation, same people, but now I see it differently. I see it from a different perspective. Absolutely. I People who listen or watch this show know that I had some tremendous family things that happened around the time of my dad's passing. And I wish I could say all the relationships are healed and they aren't. However, had things not gone exactly the way they did, Peter, I would have never gone on the discovery of why good people do crazy things when we grieve, why grief has to hurt so bad, you know, looking at the ego and our identity and what, what makes human beings tick this whole world wouldn't have opened up and I would have never published what I've learned about the afterlife and continued to do that. Nor would you and I have ever met right now had all of those things not happened exactly the way they did. So I could, I could either live in victimhood or think what was at the time, the worst thing that's ever happened to me has turned out to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. So we can, lift ourselves up, take a look at what we're doing and shift our perception. And uh, not everybody knows that. Right. And, and here's the thing too. <clears throat> a lot of it for me has be, 
has been being willing to take responsibility for my part in the situation. And responsibility is a tricky word. Now, you got to remember, I used to be a lawyer. And a lot of people equate responsibility with liability and or guilt. And I'm here to say that responsibility is not the same as blame. So taking responsibility doesn't mean I blame myself for my poor choices in life. In fact, it's just the opposite. Once I recognize it's a poor choice, I have compassion for myself and say, gosh, I must have really been afraid to react that way. I must have really been, you know, uh, frightened or, or scared or whatever. The other thing that I talk about a lot in my book and my workshops is the relationship between fear and anger. So um, what I've learned for me, and I believe this is true for, for most other people, anger is always preceded by fear. So what that means is when I'm angry, I'm really afraid. Now, why is that important? Well, if I can acknowledge, let's say I'm, I have a situation with another person, and I actually had this experience in my life. And they were acting inappropriately. And I was, I, I was angry. I was really, really angry. But then I realized, well, wait a second. If I'm really angry, it must mean I'm really afraid. And so what am I afraid of? And I got in touch with that underlying fear. And what happened was I was able to communicate to this other person instead of attacking them because I was angry and because I was right that they were wrong. I went to them and I said, you know, I'm really concerned. I'm really afraid. And I explained to them why I was feeling the way I was feeling, and it completely transformed the relationship. Whereas if I had gone blaming them, attacking them, criticizing them, calling the police, which is what I wanted to do initially, there would, there would have been a rift. The rift in the relationship would have been because anger begets anger, defensiveness begets defensiveness. But if I go to somebody and say, I'm afraid, now I'm not blaming them. I wasn't saying it's your fault. I'm saying this is how I feel. This is what's going on with me. And it was so amazing to me to see how that transformed the relationship. Again, we're not making excuses for other people's inappropriate behavior. All right. And I'm not making excuses for the times in my life when I've acted inappropriately. But the idea is to move beyond that now. We're in it. We're, we're, you know, we're growing in our consciousness and we're growing as a species. I believe, you know, there's a lot of talk about moving from the third dimension to the fifth dimension you know, raising our vibration, raising our frequency. And the only way to do that is through love and compassion and understanding and oneness, beginning to see other people as ourselves. Course in Miracles talks all about the importance. As you see him, you will see yourself. Recognizing that, that if I want to see the face of God, I see it in my brothers and my sisters and the people I'm around every day. If I can't see God in them, I'm never going to see God in me. Wow, deep conversation. This is so good. I'm loving it. Yeah, we are birds of a feather. Absolutely, we are. So you've got a couple other projects that you have got going on. Yeah, I'll tell you about those real quick. And if you want to find out more about my film projects, uh, I'm sure Sandra will put a link in the description, but go to Mindful Entertainment, one word, mindfulentertainment.us, not .com, .us. Um, and it's mindful entertainment as opposed to mindless entertainment, because having worked in the entertainment business for years, you know, uh, I don't want to be, I, I just want to say, I see room for a higher consciousness right, to be infused in our entertainment programming. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, with enjoying a good film about whatever, 
But I think we have an opportunity because the films teach, TV programs, films teach, especially young people. So I do feel like there, we have an opportunity. And for me personally, I'm not saying this is true for anybody else, but I feel like I have an obligation to, to make that content as uplifting, entertaining, but uplifting, uh, positive messaging as possible. I don't have any kids of my own, but I have eight nieces and nephews all under the age of 18. And, you know, I want to leave, uh, uh, not that I'm going anywhere, but I, I want to, convey a positive message to to that age group and to their peers, you know, as opposed to, you know, some of the stuff that's out there that's lowest common denominator and just really negative uh, stuff. So the next project uh, that I'm working on is a short film. It's called Hide and Seek in Heaven. It's a story of an 11-year-old girl and her six-year-old brother. I'm calling it an uplifting spiritual family drama. And it's a short film. It's only going to be about 10 minutes. In fact, we had a rehearsal last night on Zoom. We're filming it next month. Here in New Jersey. And the story is this 11-year-old girl, she loves her brother very much, six years old. He loves to play hide and seek. Uh, one day he wants to go out and play. His the, their mother is busy. She says to the daughter, you know, okay, you, you know, you watch, watch your brother while he goes and rides his bike and stay off your phone. Well, she doesn't do that. She's distracted. She's on the phone and, and he rides out into traffic and is and, and is killed. She feels a lot of guilt. The daughter feels a lot of guilt and remorse, um, very torn up by the whole thing. And in a game of metaphysical hide and seek, they're reconciled, they're reunited, and, uh, and, and forgiveness comes through. And she forgives herself. He forgives her. He forgives himself. And uh, I found I have a great, it's actually a whole family. There's a, a husband and a wife and their two kids that are going to play all the roles in this thing. Kids are great. And um, I was just inspired. This just came to me maybe a month and a half ago. No, it's actually a little longer than that, maybe five or six months ago. And I just wrote it down and I just put it out there and I found all the right people with all these projects, even the documentary in particular, this project, all the right people are just kind of seeming to just come and just fall into place. The last project is what I'm calling a metaphysical comedy. It's called Elden. And it's very interesting. I was looking on my computer. This is maybe six or eight months ago. I was looking for something on my computer and I came across this folder. And in this folder was this screenplay. So it's a, a feature length, 90 minute comedy. And I don't remember writing it. Uh, but I found several drafts between 2004 and 2007. And it's a story of a guardian angel who stands to lose his wings if his slacker mortal doesn't get his act together. That's funny. And I'm pitching it as an Adam Sandler comedy meets It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, it's only in screenplay form, and I have to I have to get back to it. I've been so busy with these other projects. But that too is is um it's about our our connectedness, our oneness, the 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 fact that we do have guardian angels, we do have guides, we do have assistance from other realms. Uh I also sent you a link, uh, and you people can find this on my photography website to uh, an interview that I did with a psychic medium named Sylvia Rossi. And Sylvia tells the story of her own guardian angel experience she had when she was an infant. So I definitely believe in guardian angels. I believe in, in you know, higher consciousness that helps, that, that is available to help us. Now, God will never do for us what we can do for ourselves, but we can get all the assistance we need if we're open to it. And we're willing to walk through what we need to walk through. 
So, um, so I can't wait to do this film, but I got these three other projects I got to get done first. So that's what I'm up to. Peter, do you find now that you've trained, we're constantly in a state of transformation, but with your book that you've written and all that you've learned and how many awards you've won and successful, you know, you're two extremes that because you've worked on yourself, you make more things happen and you're more productive. You're happier because you've got a lot on your plate. And could this have been had you not done that work on yourself? So um, I had spent in the past, I spent a lot of time on addictive compulsive behavior and that was not productive time. That was not time well spent. If I'm thinking about my next drink or my next whatever, you know, I'm not focused on things that are going to empower me, move me forward in life. So I think it's really important to do the work on ourselves in the physical. Forget about the metaphysical and the spiritual. I mean, we have things that we can do today if we're acting out in an addiction, if we're in, if we're abusive in our relationships, if we're, you know, resentful, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I recommend it to anybody, whether you're drinking or not. Uh, it says resentment is the number one offender. When I'm in resentment, I know I'm in victim mode. I had a lot of issues with codependency, um, uh, that I had to work out. I had a lot of issues with low self-esteem. Uh, and I was angry at the world and I was blaming the world for my problems. And as long as I'm blaming the world for my problems, I can't change them. Chapter two in my book, chapter two and three in my book are about the relationship between responsibility and power. As long as I think the world has to change before I can be happy or feel better, uh, I am stuck. Powerless. Uh, completely. Now, all of that being said, I don't, I, here's the, here's the thing. And I have a whole thing in my book about goal setting and all this other stuff. What I've learned in the last few months, Sandra, is I don't make anything happen. It all comes from the higher power, from the universe, from God, whatever you want to call it through me. So I spent a lot of time. I mean, I won a lot of awards. I did a lot of great things, but I also kind of wore myself out in the process because I was exerting a lot of energy, trying to force solutions, trying to make things happen. I'm getting a little older uh, and probably a little wiser. And I'm recognizing that I just have to get out of the way. I have to be willing, be available, have a vision. You know, I'm I'm pretty clear on the things I want to achieve, but then, then let it happen. And this documentary is a perfect example. I'm reaching out to people, but I'm not forcing the issue. I'm not trying to control the process. So um, yes, I'm more productive. Uh, I certainly have more peace and serenity, although I still have my moments. You know, I had something happen with the computer last week and I was going to kill somebody, you know, and so I want to be clear on that. The other thing is we talked about this earlier. I'm just going to mention it briefly. Um, you know, my brother passed recently and um, it was my younger brother and unexpected and very, very trying, very, very difficult and a lot of sadness, a lot of grief, you know, that we talked about earlier. and. Um, Despite the fact that I have a firm belief in God, I have a firm belief in, in the eternal nature of life. I mean, this is what I'm devoting my life to, this message, that life is eternal, that we don't die, um, uh, that life is at its core is an, an, an end at our core. We are based in love, not fear. 
I still had all those human emotions. You know, I cried like I've never cried. I felt grief that I didn't know if I was going to survive it. It was so, there was so much pain. And I'm glad I was able to experience that. And I can say now, this is only a few weeks ago. I'm actually going back to Florida this week to help my sister out with his estate. But I can say, I think I'm past the worst of it. And a couple of weeks doesn't sound like a tough, uh, like a long time, but I really did a lot of praying, a lot of soul searching. Um, and I allowed myself to have my feelings. And I had some regrets, again, as I shared with you earlier about the relationship. I wish I had made more of an effort to be closer to him and, and all of that. But I have to forgive myself for that and uh, and understand that he had a part in that relationship too. He wasn't always easy to talk to or get in touch with. So um, to forgive him, to forgive myself, and to trust. Of course, in Miracles talks about how important trust is. To trust that everything is unfolding the way it's supposed to. Everything that happens for us is planned by, by someone or something that has at its heart our best interests, our highest good. And so these, these situations that challenge us are there. They can be our gift. They can be a gift. And um, so I'll miss him. And I have a photo of him on my phone. Every time I open my phone, I see him. And, and I, I have that, that little feeling, that initial feeling of sadness. But I really do trust that this is our path. He played a part in my life. I played a part in his life. And I'm telling you now, we're going to have many more lifetimes together. And I'm going to be able to do the big brother thing the way I wish I had done it this time. And I'm going to be the best big brother that he ever had, could ever have. Well, I think he probably feels that you are, and he's probably right there by your side. And I, I know, because I've got the relationship with my dad too, which devastating when he passed, but I have no doubt, Peter, that they're right by our sides. And they're helping us in ways that we can't uh, can't even imagine. So some of these ideas, some of these thoughts that come out of nowhere, he may be helping you with your projects, you know, and I, I believe my dad is as well. So sending you a big hug. It's not easy, no matter what we believe. And just a reminder to our listeners or our viewers, chapter 10 of my book is how to survive grief. And no matter what we believe, what we know to be real, our bodies, because we're human, we go through grief. I've got so much information about the grieving process, what we can do to help lift us. I mean, we go through chemical changes in our bodies when we grieve. So if you want a free copy of my book, go to wedontdie.com, scroll down. If you want to join my email list, there'll be a pop-up with a link that says it's just the first few chapters. The truth is it's the whole book. It's all there for you to read. But fast forward to chapter 10, because if you are grieving, it will it'll give you some power. And I think like everything we're talking about today, Peter, if we live our lives and that we don't know about these things, we don't have any power. But once we get these distinctions and we realize that we can be better, be bigger and better than we think we are, et cetera, and so forth, then we can use them as opposed to being used by them. And so with its grief or loving ourselves or catching ourselves in a thought that may not be empowering, 
whatever that is, once we know we have these distinctions, we can absolutely use them. Well, we've almost been together for an hour, almost, but is there anything else you'd like to share? Anything you haven't shared that you want to share now before our time is up, Peter? You know, I would just, uh, I think it was just to express gratitude. You know, thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, a lot of the people that you've had on your, on your podcasts, um, I've gotten to know some of them. Uh, I appreciate everybody who is trying to make the world a better place with, uh, with a positive message, you know, with a message of empowerment, whether it's purely on the physical level. You know, my book, my, when I wrote my book, I wasn't thinking about the afterlife at all. I mean, I was just trying to get through my days, you know, in, in the old days with my addictions or my codependency or whatever was challenging me. It wasn't really thinking about soul groups or soul planning or, or spirit guides and all of that. Um, but through the work that you're doing, your book, I highly recommend your book to people. Uh, it was life-changing for me. Um, and, and I want to acknowledge you and all the people that are like-minded with us that have the courage to bring this message to the world, you know, and I'm sure you've had some experiences uh, where not everybody's a believer or not everybody gets it, you know, and that can be uncomfortable. Uh, it's not our job to change anybody. It's not our job to save anybody, but I do feel like we can embrace this idea that we can help. We can play a part, maybe it's a small part in raising consciousness and raising awareness so people can be the best that they can be, you know, um, even with my brother, he had a tough exterior. He was a New Yorker. He was a really tough New Yorker. And he had a very kind of gruff exterior at times that was a little off-putting. But underneath that, and I really got this after he passed, underneath that was this heart of gold, you know, and he just wanted to love and be loved. And, you know, we can go, I don't watch the news or anything anymore. And, and, I'm, and I don't spend a lot of time on social media. Um, but you can find, you can either see the negative or you can look beyond that and see the heart of gold, even in the person who's antagonizing you or challenging you. Or, um, and again, I'm not making, I'm not saying, you know, we have to forgive the unforgivable in terms of people's behavior and all of that. But to begin to understand, you know, how, how somebody could act so crazy, they must really be hurting. You know, they, they must have some kind of trauma, some kind of overwhelming fear to act the way they act in our normal, I believe, and again, maybe I'm naive, but I choose to believe this in our natural state. It's not our inclination to harm other people. It's not our inclination to act selfishly in a harmful way. There is a difference between self care and self selfishness. Um, but for, I think for the most part, I meet people all the time in whatever way, I mean, on the plane, I was on the plane coming back from Florida after my brother's memorial, and I met this guy from Staten Island, older guy, and um, all he wanted to do was talk about his grandkids, and and it turns out one of his daughters was psychic. Wow. And, um, and you know, when I first saw him, he, you know, it didn't didn't occur to me, but he was so he was so warm and so loving, and and we just talked the whole way back on the plane, and so and this was a complete stranger. So what I'm saying is that if we give people the benefit of the doubt, take care of ourselves, don't put ourselves in harm's way, use common sense, 
but begin to look beyond the obvious, beyond the facade, beyond the appearance, and see the spirit, see the soul, see the heart that's behind that appearance, behind that facade. Uh, that will make the world a better place, quite honestly, if we each do that. If you're on the subway in New York or if you're in traffic, you know, the other thing I like to say is since I wrote my book, you know, the, the, the streets, highways, and parking lots of New Jersey are a safer place because I'm not as angry as I used to be when I drove around, you know? <laughs> so, you know, little things like that can make a big difference. Give people the benefit of the doubt. See, you know, namaste, the God in me honors the God in you. And, um, but we have to want to see it that way. And, and, and appearances, the world of form, you know, the ego, you know, when we, when we see with the ego, we're not going to see oneness. We're not going to see unity. We're certainly not going to see God. Um, so we have to be willing to look through the eyes of spirit, look through the eyes of love, look through the eyes of compassion. The law of one material, this was channeled back in the 70s. Some of your viewers may be familiar with the law of one. See the creator. When you meet another person, look into their eyes and see the creator. See what we all share. See, see that, that loving essence that's the heart of all of us. A Course in Miracles, one of the workbook lessons, love created me like itself. Thank you. Beautiful. Oh, thank you on behalf of all of us. I think there's so much that we can take from this time that we've had together. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I recommend you get Peter's book. Be bigger than you think you are. Overcoming our self-imposed limits to have the life we want. There's a lot of good resources on his website, bebiggertoday.com. And also check out mindfulentertainment.us. Peter, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you, Sandra. Thanks oh, for having me. Great love to see it. You. And for our listener or our viewer, thank you for taking the time to be here. As always, I remind you, our home base is wedontdie.com. Lots of good things there for you to check out. And a reminder to join our email list on that main page down at the bottom. You'll get a free copy of my book. Like I said, it says if first few chapters. It's all of it. There's also a very empowering audio called How to Survive Grief. And I think that is the gold because no matter who we are, at some point, we're going to experience it. And it can either, boy, shut us down internally, or it could give us life and going out and finding our own spirituality. And if you like this show, share it. You never know who it will make a difference for. So if you feel so inclined to press that share button, please do. In closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that our lives here on earth are important. Be gentle on yourself. If our younger selves could have done something differently, we would have, but Try to steer away from guilt and know that you have the power within to change your lives. And not only that, but ask and you shall receive. There's a book title out there called God Will Work With You, But Not For You. And it goes kind of along with what Peter said. We need to take action in the direction of our dreams. And we do have a powerful force of guides and loved ones that want us to succeed. So they'll plant some ideas and thoughts and good things in your mind. So I really want to thank you for listening or for viewing, and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.